Can we stretch capsules? Stay tuned as the popular Google PT series returns with a triumphant discussion surrounding frozen shoulder. Welcome to Therapist in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner. Therapist in Motion podcast. This is Dan hosting once again, and we are bringing back two previous guests, Mr. John Klein. Hello. And Mr. Andrew Walcrest calling in from Texas. Hey, thanks for having me. So as we alluded to in, in the introduction, today we're going to return to a popular series, Google PT. And to our listeners, if you recall, when we do our Google PT series, what we strive to do is take some time to Google common exercises for said diagnosis. In this situation, frozen shoulder. And then we take some time to discuss said exercises and supporting literature studies that utilize or disprove utilization of those exercises. So as we alluded to, so that, that's kind of the, the, the path that we're gonna take on this Google PT series. As I stated in the introduction, can we stretch capsule? Let's start there. Andrew, can we stretch capsule? I'm going to weigh in and say no. Histologically, if that capsule is made of collagen, generally collagen does not like to stretch very well. It's the same kind of analogy we use with patients and saying, hey, we can't really stretch your IT band very well because that's just a giant band of collagen, but yet we can stretch the glutes. I'd say the same applies to that capsule. Yeah. So one of the things that everyone is taught in PT school is low load, long duration. You have to induce creep. So I guess that kind of just begs the question of, well, what are we trying to induce creep on? What structures are we trying to stretch if we cannot stretch a capsule? I mean, the diagnosis is adhesive capsulitis. So technically, that's the structure we should be stretching, correct? You'd hope so. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's exactly what we should be stretching. But if we look at traditional, again, kind of like Andrew talked about, and we just go to the, the true science of what that tissue is made up of, I would say that's really hard to stretch. Now, there are interventions if we utilize a collaborative approach with you know, uh, a sports medicine or an orthopedic surgeon that, that does like a hydrodilation under ultrasound guide where they're injecting fluid directly into the joint and they're watching that tissue expand plus the utilization of corticosteroid to ensure that the patient does, doesn't become extremely flared. But I would say in that situation, from that standpoint, you can expand that space, whether it's truly stretching the capsule or not, I don't know. Just again from the 360 degree and three dimensional approach of that of that tissue, but there is good evidence to support the utilization of hydrodilation to expand a capsule. Not, I don't know if it actually stretches it or if it if it just makes returns it to its to its normal state. Yeah. So then, one would argue then why are we doing what we're trying to do and give a lot of patients different stretching exercises? Because whenever I Google. So back to the Google PT podcast series, if I Google a lot of frozen shoulder exercises, the top hitters on my list look like a lot of cane exercises, cane flexion, cane abduction, cane external rotation at the side. 
um, some pendulums, some wall walks, you know, some static stretches in the doorway. I mean, those are the ones that make my top splash page whenever I type in frozen shoulder exercises. Uh, but I mean, it seems to work, right? Like these, even these studies that we're going to talk about, they show improvements in range of motion, in function, reduction in pain with those kind of passive exercises. But on the flip side, when we look at the current literature, we're seeing a, 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 almost a paradigm shift. You know, like when I was in PT school, potentially Andrew, maybe even you, John, like we talked about TERT, total end range time, and how much time can the patient tolerate at their maximum available range of motion until pain ultimately stops them from continuing to do it. You know, are they spending two minutes? Are they spending 30 minutes? Are they spending 60 minutes in this total end range time? When I did a quick search on that, and I used specifically the term total end range time or TERT, just to be clear, the last study I saw that talked about that was 2011. Now, there are, there's a new term called high intensity stretch, and there was a study put out here recently from uh, an orthopedic surgeon, but this was using an external device where the patient was strapped in and then spent a long time with a high intensity stretch at end ranges. But otherwise, the, the kind of the thing that started this and, and the return of the Google PT series was a conversation, gosh, maybe seven, eight months ago regarding a blog post article that had a supported meta-analysis talking about the utilization of eccentrics at end range to assist in the treatment of frozen shoulder. So let's kind of circle back to that Andrew, I want you to kind of like paint the picture a little bit of that blog post and connecting it to the metal analysis, just to kind of set the stage for our listeners. Yeah. So the blog post that really interested me whenever I ran by it was on physionetwork.com and it's titled, Let It Go, Frozen Shoulder, Let It Go, Let It Go. And it's written by Adam Meekins and I'll give him a shout out. If you haven't followed him on social media, he's a funny guy and he has a lot of things that are food for thought. But generally, as he's going through his whole entire blog post, he describes what frozen shoulder is and, and how it's extremely painful limiting and some of his own personal frustrations with treating it in the past. He goes into talking about how he's recently found a lot of um, anecdotal evidence for just his patients of, of doing a lot of these little eccentric exercises instead of wanting to just jam people at end range and doing mobilizations. And he's found himself having a lot of success with that, in which we'll talk about maybe some of the spheres on, on success that he's, that he's given people. But one of his biggest things that, he, that at the very end he talks about is maybe by giving these patients exercises that they can actually do that don't really hurt too much, that they are taught psychologically to let it go. He talks about how pain can cause tension. And, and with that tension, especially when you're doing maybe total end range time, intense stretches and things like that, that might not be the best thing for a patient. And, but if we teach them how to, if we teach them how to move, maybe doing, doing these eccentric exercises, that patient knows how to let their soft tissue go and achieve a better improved range of motion and therefore help those patients that have frozen shoulder get out of it better. The point that I took away from that article was the difference between end range, passive range of motion, where the therapist is sitting, cranking on someone's shoulder, maybe feeling an end range, but there's, it's going to be very painful while they're doing it versus giving someone else 
the weight and the control uh, of those end ranges eccentrically to kind of help reduce, you know, like the fear and the pain. It's a painful diagnosis, right? So that's kind of my takeaway from that. Yeah, and I think what my takeaway from that when I first read it was exactly kind of that. Like they have control, uh, you know, I'm on a, they're in kind of a modified sideline position potentially with like a yoga blocked so that they don't go too far into the range that then could cause more traumatic damage. And again, from a psychological standpoint, give them that theory of success. And as I think about our previous conversations and, and me learning from both Andrew and John, that's a concept that is a, is a consistent resonating theme of let's find something that's successful and utilize that success as our foundation moving forward. So John, I know in show prep, you talked a little bit about when a patient comes in to see you with the diagnosis of frozen shoulder, usually the last thing you treat is their glenohumeral joint. So can you talk a little bit about where your thought process is on kind of developing success or starting potentially away from something that's really, really painful? Yeah, definitely. Any frozen shoulder that I'm evaluating, I'm spending a lot of time on education, setting my expectations, pain levels, how high I want them to get, making sure the patient realizes that there's going to be some guarding and inhibition associated with that pain. So we're going to go based off of success. Going back to the kind of those cane exercises, my cane exercises might be a little bit different because I might be going after hip mobility, thoracic spine mobility, scapular mobility, T-spine, SC joint, AC joint. I haven't even got to GH joint yet, right? I'm not doing a cane overhead for 10, 15 seconds. I'm going through motions with the cane to drive all the other, uh, you know, biomechanical chain reaction before I hit that, even that glenohumeral joint. Yeah, I think that, that that's, that's a thought I want some of our, our listeners to, to think about is how can I use another body part to drive success through that glenohumeral joint and still help their overall mental well-being. Andrew, let's, I kind of want to give you that same question of like, okay, somebody shows up on your schedule day one. Let's say they've had that frozen shoulder issue for, for four months. Like kind of what's your early approach with the, an individual with this diagnosis? Honestly, it's not too much different than what John said. I think number one, setting expectations for them. Um, you know, allowing them to know that they're going to have some good days and bad days, some days that they're going to feel like they're really su successful in getting over it, and some just psychologically down days where they feel like they're never going to get through this. Um, and giving them permission to feel those feelings, I feel like, and, and having them anticipate that. Now, it's been four months. They've already kind of probably lived through that and know the roller coaster it is. So once I set expectations, then I do try to figure out what is moving, what's not moving that should be moving. Obviously the shoulder is one GH joint, but I really go for the easy hitters, the things that got stiff secondarily after that adhesive capsulitis has set in. And then teaching them even during that first treatment session, say, hey, we did improve your thoracic spine mobility. Isn't, isn't that great? Like your body's ready to move, your body's ready to shift. And then giving them that encouragement on the way out. And then for me, also setting the expectation of I'm not the no pain, no gain therapist and, and frozen shoulder. With that being said, I tell patients, well, I'm not no pain, no gain. I'd be a fool to tell you everything's going to be pain free. We're definitely going to brush up with pain. 
but can we can we at least temper that and can we help with that? And I feel like that paradigm shift really helps someone that they might have been scared from the orthopedic surgeon. Maybe it took them four months to get to your doorstep because their friend told them that going to PT frozen shoulder is the worst thing in the world. It's going to hurt so bad. I cried so much. And and I'm and I kind of take the other part and be like, well, no, let's let's try a different way. Let's try maybe an easier way to a certain extent to where it's less pain but in a way it's kind of harder because we're working on every other joint that's stiff we're working on the mental framework of, of why it's so tough so that kind of heart work and other body work might be in a way tougher than just looking at the shoulder i feel like that's where honestly the research and what this whole blog post started to get to is are we focusing too much on the structure are we focusing too much on this adhesive capsulitis that is not moving and we have thrown everything at it we've thrown our body weight at it we're throwing needles at we're we're throwing everything we can at it maybe we're not looking at the right spot for sure they have a a piece of capsulitis like that 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 could be shown on on mri but are we clinically as as pts focusing on the right thing to help that person succeed I would argue to say in the, in the past, our profession hasn't, but after looking at some of the studies that you guys have been sharing with me and after having some discussion with you, I feel like maybe that we're going to this whole new frontier where we're going to be able to more effectively help our patients and hopefully have, have this whole be a paradigm shift to where I'm hoping the next the patient I'm helping will tell their next door neighbor when they get frozen shoulder, hey, go to PT. You know, it sounds bad, but trust me, it's not as bad as it used to be. And and, and they'll get you through it and look at me. They'll raise their arm in the air and say, you can get through it too. And just so everybody knows, Andrew was and still is my mentor. So anytime he says, I agree with John, it's actually because I agree with him and I'm saying what he's already taught me in the past. <laughs> uh, but but the, the, the AFS approach, the, uh, you know, start with success, full body chain reaction, uh, that was a big thing that Andrew kind of taught me early on that I really gravitated toward. So Andrew mentioned it a couple times, this this paradigm shift and this philosophical change in how we should be addressing the diagnosis of frozen shoulder. And we have some literature to support it. Interestingly enough, two of the main studies that we looked at, and, and just as a, as a caveat here, I will post the links on the Spooner PT website for you to access that after the fact. I'll, I'll do my best to give that hyperlink. I don't know if it'll translate on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and all of our, our, our the, any other platforms to be able to click that, but you'll be able to find that information and go and look at these studies yourselves. So one was out of Pakistan, one was out of Korea, and then Andrew's going to talk a little bit about that meta-analysis from the blog post. But what's interesting is in the study from Pakistan and the study from Korea, they did not use any of the exercises that we found when we Google searched frozen shoulder. And to me, that concept, like Andrew said, of this paradigm shift and is really what we need to take to heart from from this discussion is how actually I was rather mind blown (laughs) at the results that were in both of these studies. I'll start with the the study from Korea. It's published in 2021. It looked at 30 females. Now that's the only thing, it was females only. And they subdivided them into two exercise group, a concentric focused exercise group and an eccentric exercise focused group. Oddly enough, all of both groups did the exact same of, same set of exercises. 
Now, to John's point of working off, off success, these resisted therapy and exercises were not at end range. So contrary to the blog post where it was talking about working on eccentrics at end range, and we're going to get to that conversation of, of why we think utilize a combination of those two things is important. But the eccentric group did a two-second concentric contraction followed by a 10 to 15-second eccentric contraction. I want you to think about that for a second. A 10 to 15-second eccentric contraction. That's crazy. That's crazy long. Now, on post results, all the groups, or both these groups got better on their range of motion, both flexion, or flexion abduction, external rotation. They both had pain reduction, and they both improved strength in flexion and external rotation. However, the eccentric group had a bigger jump in all of those things. So their pain was even less than the concentric group, and then they had more range of motion gains and strength gains. So let, let's talk about that study a little bit first before we get into the closed kinetic chain. Like hearing that, reading that study, Andrew, what's your take home message and how are you utilizing that with a the therapist that you're mentoring on a regular basis? The first thing I'd say is what we've already mentioned once is about, well, a few times is about working in a successful motion. Because on the on when you take a big step back, you think, okay, here we have someone with frozen shoulder. You have this tendency, and maybe it's due to your past CIs or the way that PT was done, you know, 20 years ago, that you just want to jam that shoulder. This study says, hey, no, you can do some exercises in a comfortable range of motion and yet you can see some improvement with that. So for me, it's kind of mind boggling with that, that you just say, okay, maybe we don't need to hurt them. Maybe we can work in a successful motion, but then it's not even doing a motion exercise that you think that you should do. It's not this passive range of motion, end range mobilization, you know, grade three, grade four, are you doing an inferior capsular glide or do an anterior capsular glide? No, this is really about, can you do a resisted exercise to help frozen shoulder? So this is where I might seem a little bit two-faced, where I initially started this, can you stretch a capsule? I went ahead and weighed in first and said, no, that capsule is made of collagen. But when you really look at that rotator cuff histologically, there's a lot of that rotator cuff that does blend in with that capsule. I feel like on a cadaver dissection, it would be tough to tease out one versus the other. So if we say that that capsule might be continuous with the, with the tendon of the rotator cuff, which means that that tendon rotator cuff is continuous with the muscles that that tendon attaches to, maybe you doing something to those muscles in a concentric or now where we're going maybe more eccentric is teaching that capsule to do something different. I don't know if I have my brain wrapped around maybe why that works, but I'm liking where we can say we have an exercise that you can be successful, that doesn't cause pain, that we're showing that there's some evidence that this can work for you. So if I were mentoring someone, I'd say, this sounds like a brilliant way to start, especially with those high anxiety patients or the ones that are in a lot of pain. So let's just try here and see where it goes. So yeah, I guess if I had a new grad I was mentoring and I asked them, can you stretch someone's capsule? And they said, no. And I said, well, why are you bringing them to end range? 
right? That's a, that's a decent question, especially based off this study. Um, you know, I, I do think that there needs to be uh, maybe another control group because adhesive capsulitis is self-limiting, right? It's going to get better over time. Uh, maybe a group three would have been no intervention, PT, standard PT or eccentrics. I think it was super cool on the discussion they talked about the potential mechanisms um, positively affecting the vitrification of the adherent joint was kind of a was kind of cool. Of course, you nerd out on that. Yeah, yeah, that, that was good. Uh, but you know, interestingly enough, they talked about eccentric loading increasing muscle length more so than concentric loading, which just like Andrew was saying, that rotator cuff goes right into that capsule. That might have been another another cool thing. We had talked a little bit earlier about the increased synovial fluid flow in the joint area, which they said softened the joint capsule tissue. So that's cool. Um, or even rearrangement of the joint capsule collagen fibers with eccentric versus concentric. It's a super cool study. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that that kind of goes into a little bit what we talked about as well as, as when we look at a, a traditional approach to to frozen shoulder, especially in physical therapy, we want to get our hands on it. We want to we want to mobilize that tissue. We want to do those inferior, anterior, posterior glenohumeral glides. We want to do some soft tissue work, and maybe that's the wrong approach. Maybe going off of what you just said there, John, like do we really then stay mid-range or initial range and do some oscillatory movements in the transverse plane, IRER, to really increase that synovial fluid temperature, which then may allow for relaxation to occur before they do their exercises. And now at that point, they even have a greater success because those two things are paired together. But on the flip side, you know, we always talk about validating our value. Is our value most spent on the exercise standpoint, the education standpoint? I don't know that we want to go down that route, but it's something for people to think about as our value doesn't have to be validated just by laying of the hands on a patient. And I feel like that is probably an important thing for a new grad therapist or beginning therapist who realizes that your instinct with these patients is to put your hand on them. And that's because you really care about them and you really want to help them. And, and where the, where this whole blog post got started from was in reaction to this, this meta-analysis done in 2020. Um, and it was a comparison tr of treatments for frozen shoulder, a systematic review and, and an analysis, which essentially shows that at the very beginning where physical therapy is, where they say physical therapy is a terrible option, especially the first three months of frozen shoulder. And I'll get into that in a second. When we look at the study, this was the first really big meta-analysis done for frozen shoulder. They started with over 4,000 studies. They weeded it down to 3,700 studies in which were all included, oh, sorry, sorry, 3,700 participants of, across 39 different studies for this analysis. So this is the first big meta-analysis done um, that was published for, for really for us, for physical therapists. And what they found out after doing this whole entire meta-analysis, they found that physical therapy was really not helpful with helping people with pain and, and with range of motion. But when you really look at it and, what, and how they, they define physical therapy, and I will quote you what they say, the term physiotherapy, and I quote, was used for any supervised physical therapist-led non-invasive treatment, mobilization, application of ice and heat, diathermy, and electrotherapy modalities. So that was what their term was for. 80s physical therapy. Correct. <laughs> All 
passive. And so this goes back down to what you guys were just saying, is our value putting our hands on this person or with this, maybe putting a machine or ice or heat on a person. That is not our value. And, in, and what this meta-analysis shows is if that's all you do, you are not only not helping the patient, you're actually the worst option for treatment for that patient. That patient is better doing no treatment or a placebo treatment than seeing you in those initial stages. So right now, if you're listening and that's all that you're doing, your patient comes in frozen shoulder, you throw some heat on them and you spend 45 minutes on the table doing aggressive manual therapy, what this meta-analysis is saying is you might be barking up the wrong tree. Where and so the, so some people could take this and you know anyone that hates physical therapists could say see I told you PT doesn't work this this is this is bogus well let let me read the next sentence of what what they said underneath this physiotherapy thing it says exercises and stretching that were performed by the participants at home or under the physiotherapy supervision were not included in physiotherapy now we all know that we I would say the the most the physical therapists I respect most in the field are not just expert technicians with their hands, but they're expert technicians with how they coach a patient and what they tell the patient to do at home. And so this study shows that the coaching and home exercises is something that is beneficial. So then it comes back down to this value. Is your value, especially in the initial parts of frozen shoulder, is it putting your hands on them or is it guiding them through exercises? Through this study, meta-analysis, it'd say, you're, you're best off guiding them with exercises as well as what we are finding out in a lot of these other published um, things that Dan's going to be putting on, on the Spooner website is that we might need to rethink even our exercise. If that's where our value is and having someone exercise, are we doing the right exercises? And are the right exercises found on Google that in that first page? Probably not. Uh, like you said, this is for the patient who comes in initial phases, you're freezing, then you're frozen. Like we're not thawing yet. So uh, you sitting there cranking on a, a, a capsule of shoulder that's in the process of freezing is just going to make you get more painful. There's going to be more guarding. Uh, again, back to the point of maybe we treat everything else but the glenear humeral joint and those first initial phases, which might be some hands-on techniques to mobilize clavicle, T-spine, et cetera, or maybe it's more exercise prescription to get the full body moving, the full kinetic chain flowing um, to eventually tackle the GH joint later. But to bring up a, a question there on that, that patient that's in the, maybe the tail end of the freezing stage, Andrew sent us an article late last night talking about the impact of closed kinetic chain exercises and the impact on the proprioceptive system that, again, this is a study out of Pakistan, different set of exercises, doing more closed kinetic chain with a progression, which was very interesting that they, they notated their progression week one, weeks two to three, weeks four, and so on. Interestingly enough, those individuals also saw more improved function and less pain. So early on when somebody comes in with, you know, they're in that freezing stage, potentially a paradigm shift should go to let's put them in a quadruped position and get some joint approximation and some joint stability because potentially they have no idea where their joint is in space because it's so painful and again, I think this, this, this study that Andrew sent out of Pakistan indicates that that might be a really good 
early approach. So I want to hear kind of your two thoughts on that, Andrew. We'll start with you. Well, I, what you're talking about, once you get them closed chain, they're going to be feeling more comfortable. And whenever they're more comfortable, you might be able to generate more motion. You know, the term I like to use is more this bottom up motion on a fixed shoulder. So as that shoulder's fixed on the ground, as they're moving their hips, as they're moving their T-spine, we are creating a little bit of glenohumeral joint motion. And whenever you do that, you're warming up the synovial fluid and and are we getting some of, and whenever we're weight shifting, would we also be getting some eccentric contraction of those muscles as, as we put more load through there? You better betcha. And so this is all of the same way of saying, hey, there's some way that we can get movement that's successful. And what if we throw something that's more eccentric? Can that be beneficial to a patient? And that's where you, Dan, saying, hey, let's just get them in a quadruped position and start there. I think that's a genius way to start. And is quadruped functional for them? Absolutely. I mean, it'll help them roll over in bed a little bit better, push up a little bit better. If they're doing any playing with their kids on the ground or scrubbing on the floor, I mean, they're going to be finding themselves on the ground and we want them to still participate in life in their pain-free ranges. And so why not start them in that successful position? Yeah. You know, talking about starting with success, most patients come to therapy because they are unsuccessful with an open chain shoulder motion, right? They're reaching for something. Uh, so why don't we start with success and flip it and go close chain where we're just kind of flipping that on its head. The, you know, in close chain, you're increasing centration of GH joint, you're increasing stabilization, you're getting other muscles firing, increasing that stability in the joint, which again, we've talked about that excessive guarding associated with the pain. You know, like it's, it's also, when somebody comes in, you go through a full active range of motion screen, they're going, ow. Ow, ow, right? Hitting end range of all the flexion, scaption, abduction. In closed chain quadruped, it's kind of harder to hit all those end ranges because you got to really contort your body, which probably is pretty good for T-spine mobility, to be quite honest, but you're just generally not doing that, you know? Yeah. Well, and something else I want to mention, that quadruped position, not only is it a great place to do exercise, but why can't we do a little bit of hands-on treatment in there? I feel like a lot of my new grads and people I mentor, they almost think of, of hands-on therapy as extremely binary, meaning that either their hands are on them and when their hands are on them, that that patient's action is completely off. It's completely passive. And then whenever my hands are off them, that's where the patient gets to move. What, is, is there a somewhere in between that there's a room for negotiation? Can we help them move a little bit better while they're in quadruped? So as they on quadruped as they shift their hips backwards and they're getting a little bit more flexion of that of that shoulder can we put our hands on maybe their scapula can we put their our hands on their t-spine can we even maybe even put our hands on their humerus and help guide that motion help that joint centration help reaffirm to them that they can go a little bit farther and that way it's not so much of a traditional end range mobilization but it's using our hands to guide that patient and so a lot of my new new grad patients, they feel like once their table work is done and once that patient's off the table, then, then their hands don't belong on a patient. I feel like our hands should always continuously be on the patient, and I feel like that could even help with their hands on the patient during those eccentric exercises even more. Can we push them a little further in their range that's pain-free and still teach them to control it? Mentor Andrew, while I was reading this study, uh, I wanted to, I couldn't wait to ask you what you thought of those CKC proprioception, proprioception exercises and if you would have done anything a little differently that people can take home and start treating uh, their patients with tomorrow. 
Well, I, I'll do them a little bit differently. What I like is the fact that if they're getting a, a, a person in a position, I have always loved, I shouldn't say always, but for the past decade of my, of my career, I have loved to give frozen shoulder patients. When someone's in there, I like to pre-position. So whenever you think in quadruped, so if, if, if you're not driving, get, your, get, get on all fours right now, hands and knees. And whenever, you're, whenever your hands go down, generally your fingers are pointing forward. You can easily change an exercise in quadruped by turning those fingers inwards, which would dial in a little bit more shoulder GH internal rotation. Or you can turn those fingers outwards and you can get a little bit more GH external rotation. And I mean, obviously, if you go all the way in range and with someone with frozen shoulder, that might hurt them a little bit more. But for me, I like to tweak those rotational motions in as they're going through that flexion moment as they're driving through the hips and pelvis. And I also change their hands, maybe a little bit wider, a little bit closer together. I'm finding different positions, not only positions of success, but also positions of growth where I can identify, okay, let's go ahead and use this lane with your fingers a little bit out and your hips in this way to get that, to get that distance. And as a person's going back, their hand in relation to their head, their head might be trapped behind like above their head as they're in quadruped whenever the person's in that position i take a pause and i say look at where your hand is your hand is actually successfully over your head does that hurt and if i've done my job right by sneaking it in there it doesn't hurt and i'd say look you're isn't that doesn't that feel great that your hand is now successfully above your head now granted it's in a quadruped position they're not doing it actively but that gives that patient some hope that one day they will be able to reach their hand over their head and get that glass out of that cabinet. And that is huge mentally for the patient. Not only did it not hurt, they see their hand in a position that they eventually want it to be. And so do I, do I change those exercises all the time? Do I have a set regimen? No, because it's always patient dependent upon where they feel success. But for me, the biggest thing I'd dial in is just dialing in a little bit extra rotation and pre-positioning that hand on the floor. How about you guys? What would you change? Well, I kind of want to just bring that concept together in, in, in the study that talked about closed kinetic chain, your addition of the tweaks of internal external rotation, wide, narrow, involve side forward or involve side a little closer just to kind of load that joint a little differently. And then going back to the, to the blog post of really training at end ranges of motion, so if we combine those two, and then we even throw in the, 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 the study from Korea that talks about more focus on eccentric time, if we utilize all of those together, now we've actually given ourselves this robust ability to provide to what John and Andrew both alluded to early on was proper education with the proper home exercise program, because some of these things as we've talked about in our previous Google PT series, maybe great exercises that after a period of time we can prescribe independently and have them continue this independently while we're doing the quadruped modifications and the control at end range into their new available range of motion to again stimulate that brain that they have new range available and to use that range that was just created through some utilization of closed kinetic chain and an indirect mobilization, in my opinion, that's what I would call it, is indirect mobilization, and utilize all of those things to help our patient see and, and feel and control the new amount of motion that we just provided. 
I like what you said about controlling new motion. Sometimes when you guys treat patients with frozen shoulder, do you feel like you are simultaneously treating a stiff condition as well as a very unstable condition at the same time? Yeah, you know, I always keep in the back of my mind that uh, a tight whatever could also be a weak whatever, be that muscle, a joint, a, a body part, a movement. Uh, so just layering on that strengthening component without, again, jamming someone at end range is how I'm going to find success with that. Yeah. How about you, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's one thing. If I think back to my early professional education, shout out to Institute Physical Art, that's one of the things they really stress is let's get them some motion and then we need to control that motion before we, before we make it integrated. And I think that's kind of what we're just talking about here, whether it's utilization of a closed kinetic chain, whether it's utilization of mid-range success strengthening exercises or mid-range fluid dynamic exercises of increasing that synovial fluid temperature and then training that control with some extra load or more time focused on the eccentric component rather than the concentric component. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like whenever in the, and I feel like that's where the meta-analysis is, is leading us to believe and these new studies are leading us to believe that whenever in the Google PT exercise that you get that, that we are finding that are not the most successful, when you are jamming someone in their end range, not only is, the, is that tight, but if that's weak, if we had someone with multi-directional shoulder instability, would we be taking them through aggressive end range stretches or would that make them more fearful and more painful? Uh, absolutely that would happen. So if we just freeze someone with adhesive capsulitis of 10 more degrees of flexion, just say you, you graduate from 110 to 120 degrees of motion because that, that's where they, uh, that's what their body as, as it's improving is giving you. Are they strong or are they weak in that, in that new 10 degrees of motion? They're going to be absolutely weak. And if we take, try to push them past that 120, I believe that you're doing them more damage, that we almost have to treat that 110 to 120 new gained range of motion as almost a multi-directional shoulder instability. As weird as it sounds, because a true person with multi-directional shoulder instability, they can move their shoulder in obscene different ways, but, but for that patient, they need to know that they can control that so that their tissues can truly let go and give you more motion. So paradigm shift, takeaway, are you strengthening your adhesive capsulitis patients, whether it's at end range, whether it's at mid range, open chain or closed chain, look at your flow sheets, ask yourself that. I think that's a great summative comment right there is that's the paradigm shift. Go back and listen to that. Take time. And like I've said on the last number of, of podcasts, it does take time. You have to give yourself the freedom and the flexibility and the time to analyze your programs, to analyze the individual needs of your patient, and to also have some humility to say, look, I have just been made aware of this information. <laughs> like the neurodynamics on the contralateral side, John, that we were talking about with, with Jess Ellis. And I, I flat out said to the patient, I'm so sorry. I just found that information out last week. We're going to make a paradigm shift in your program. Oddly enough, feeling better. Shocking. So I, I like 
some of it is also, you know, what Brett Fisher would say is I need to take time to download this information, internalize it, beat it up, but I need the feedback from you as the patient. And, and as therapists, we need to be okay accepting that feedback and that there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve as we digest all of this information. So I, I just want to give our listeners the freedom and the ability to think that way and it's okay and to not feel the pressure that they, this has to be figured out right away based on this one podcast. Correct. And I also caution people as whenever I was going through some of these exercises and, and looking at all the lit review things, there was a bit of um, maybe a little bit of overconfidence that I was saying, well, these patients don't really encapsulate the patients that I see, that maybe my hands can get a little bit better. So you might have really skilled hands, but if you're really honest with yourself, you can have that humility that you don't have it all figured out because we are still figuring things out. And that's why I love having conversations with you, Dan, with you, John, because it keeps me in check to realize while, while we are helping patients, is there a little bit of a better way? Can we use our group think to help all of our patients marching off in the future? So I love what you said, John, audit your charts, look at them. Are you just sticking with in-range mobility? Is it just doing that? Or are you throwing in stability, whether it's closed chain, open chain? concentric eccentric you said it great john yeah i agree thanks so uh andrew it's always a pleasure i look forward to having you on again soon john same thing with you, you guys always provide lots of interesting thoughts and thought provoking conversations so i appreciate your willingness to join on the pod and your expertise to our listeners thank you for your dedication and loyalty uh, stay uh, tuned because we're going to continue Google PT series. Uh, the cadence is, is anticipated to be quarterly, and we're going to continue to explore other topics. I believe our next Google PT series will be on shin splints, so stay tuned for that one coming most likely in Q4. If you have any other comments, questions, topics that you would like us to discuss, lit reviews, meta-analysis that you found that you and your colleagues have, have discussed and you want another perspective, please let us know and, and do not hesitate to reach out to us at therapistinmotion at spoonerpt.com. Thanks and have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. 